0: Good morning, Redemption Tempe. Whoa, look at that vibrancy there. That's great. Uh, Well, I wanted to welcome you all. My name is Jim Mullins. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, Primarily, my role here is teaching classes and doing a lot of our cultural engagement and mission and those sorts of things. Uh, This morning, I'm going to give some announcements, and I'm going to continue with our all-of-life interview before Ricardo comes up and teaches this morning. So speaking of classes, I really have one announcement, and that's that we have a membership class coming up. The membership class is going to be the next two weeks starting next week, so July 21st and July 28th. Two weeks at 5 p.m. here on campus, we're going to have a membership class. And it's for anyone who wants to know what our theology, our values, to be able to ask any questions, and it's really the step you need to take to become a member here. Um, So we'd love to have you there. I'm going to teach the class. So if you show up, I'm really going to like you more, so please come to the class. Um, So that's 21st and 28th. Um, And and the other thing I wanted to do this morning is to continue with our all-of-life interviews. You hear us say often that we want to make disciples who live all of life all for Jesus. And we talk about that a lot, but what we really wanted to do is show you what that means, to invite people up to where you can get a little glimpse of their life and how they're living out their faith in all domains and all spheres of life. So this morning we've invited Rob Jones to come up. So he's going to come up, and let's give him a hand. So so, um, earlier today someone said that uh, Rob looks so sharp that he should probably just interview himself. But I'm going to interview him, nevertheless. Uh, I told Rob, I said, dress how you do at work so you can get a glimpse of what it's like day in, day out. So Rob, why don't you tell us what you do?
1: This gets old, by the way. I was excited when I found out I got to wear a suit and tie to work. Yeah. That lasted for the first two days of work. And yeah. Three years later, this is a prison. I promise. Yeah. You. Um, what I do, I, I work in accounting and finance for a, a real estate investment company. So uh, number crunching, modeling, um, Financing, securing our financing from, from banks, uh, anything that goes along with uh, accounting and finance, uh, that's, that's my rule.
0: Yeah. Well, and, and we talk about how God cares about all of life. Why does he care about accounting and finance?
1: Um, <laughs> let me put it in the broader perspective first of what my company does, and then I can tell you exactly why I know for a fact God cares about accounting and finance, and that is nice. Uh, so, so our company, uh, my company, raises uh, money from investors, goes out and buys real estate with it, which is a real common business model. But how I see uh, the Lord's work done in that is uh, twofold. One, we are receiving investor dollars, and we are not uh, flippant about that. Our company takes very seriously the money that we raise and recognizes Uh, someone's hard-earned money is being entrusted to us. And and so we take that knowing we we take a great responsibility. And then with that, we steward that money to acquire real estate that is in the best interest of that person. And so um, what I do in accounting and finance that – helps further that that kind of broader kingdom perspective is to say uh, i'm going to do my job excellently because as a company from a broader whole what we're doing is being faithful with god's resources that people have entrusted us with as well as fulfilling uh the the creational mandate to kind of cultivate the world around us
0: that's great thanks and what about uh love jesus says to love your neighbor to serve your neighbor how does how do you do that through your work
1: um Specifically, uh, from, from the broader perspective of the company, uh, I, I think that we, uh, again, we, we respect the people who have trusted us with their money in a way that... Um, I mean, the, the reason we wear a suit and tie to work, part of the reason is the, the owner or the founder of our company says, look, you're going to do everything excellently, starting with uh, the way that you dress, uh, all the way down to what you do. And so we, uh, we, we carry out and we, we re- give a return to our investors that is... Uh, is the best that we could possibly do for them uh, specifically uh, how I I love my neighbor in, in my work is just doing my work excellently as best as I can so that um, it makes my my boss's jobs easier and it makes my coworkers' jobs easier when I uh, perform to the best of my ability
0: great great and um, how can we be praying for people like you and people who work in finance and and, and those sorts of things
1: you know, everybody laughed when you said, you know, how is accounting important? Yeah. And everyone's like, because uh, accounting's not important. Um, <laughs> there's, I mean, you're going to ask, can I ask the question preemptively? Pre-empt- right, if, you're, yeah. if you're in accounting and finance, can you raise your hand in some degree? I mean, it, it's not like the, the concentration of teachers that we have here, but there's a lot of you that are in it. And I, and I think it's important for, for people who are in accounting and finance, how you can pray is... Um, Realize that your job is important and, and what you do matters. Um, accounting is not without merit and it's not without purpose. If there was no purpose in it, you wouldn't, you wouldn't see that it, it happens. At every business, at every establishment, everywhere, accounting happens. So um, it matters and, and how you do your job matters. So the, the prayer, my prayer would be that uh, people that are in a similar field as I am would understand um, that there is value intrinsically in what you do. Um, for the broader company as a whole and just who you are as a person uh, what it means to to know that your identity is in Christ, that you've been given this job and that you will do it excellently to praise the one who gave you that job and so um, that would be my prayer
0: great, great, well once again if you're in accounting or finance would you raise your hands
1: proudly, Proudly. there you go
0: (laughs) Um, And just to let you know, we care for you and we pray for you and we realize that God has sent you into your particular field. So I'm going to pray for you and pray for Rob now. God, we thank you how you have called some people to steward these important resources. We thank you uh, for them. We thank you for the work that they do and we pray that they would do it with integrity, with wisdom, with a real sense of love uh, for their neighbor. We thank you that every time we uh, have a, some good-tasting food, or a child uh, goes to a good school, or we experience some good business. There's an accountant there who's cultivating and stewarding resources. We pray for a sense of intentionality and purpose for all of those in our congregation who are in these fields. And we pray that your, your spirit would be present, and you would be present with them as they work. In Jesus' name, amen.
2: We thank these guys again? Hey, welcome again, and uh, if it's your first time here, my name is Ricardo, and I am one of the pastors here. Uh, We are going to jump straight into Romans, and so if you have a Bible, I want you to meet me in Romans chapter 3. We're going to look at two verses today, verses 25 and 26 of Romans chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and keep it held high um, so that we can hand you out a copy of God's Word. And if you don't own a Bible, please keep the copy that we were handing out to you so that you can understand God's Word, grow in the knowledge of God's Word, and understand who God is in Christ uh, through the Scriptures. And so if you have the Bible that we're handing out, page 611. As you turn there, I um, just kind of want to give you just uh, kind of an update on what's happened in the last few weeks um, in, our, in the life of our church if you were not here last week, we had an incredible day in which we, we dubbed Training Day. And what that meant is we had all of our young, younger guys who were, um, I shouldn't say younger, some of those guys were older than me, but. All these young bucks that were uh, training to be uh, ministers, pastors, preachers, and so forth. So at all four services, we had four different preachers. So at the 9 a.m., we had Dave Goffany, um, who's one of our residents here that's planning a church in Tucson, which is good because God knows they need it. And then we had, so we had Dave doing that. And then 1045, we had Benjamin Jensen, who did the 1045 with you all. Uh, David Blakeman, who is our worship leader, he taught at the Five, and then Jake Slobodnik, who's one of our pastoral residents, or excuse me, interns, uh, just graduated from college in May. He gave a sermon, and it was beautiful. All the guys did great. Um, If you have time, I would go to redemptionazy.com and listen to those sermons just to see the blessings of God by his Holy Spirit to give the gifts that he does to the broader church, and then more particularly here for us in Tempe. It was really encouraging and, and good for me. Um, But now I'm in the thick of things again. Uh, I've taught once in the last four weeks, and it's been good. Got a chance to be um, home back in California for a week. Uh, I shouldn't say home. Be back in California for a week. And then um, the week after that, got a chance to visit another church of a friend of mine. And um, the cool thing about visiting other churches as a pastor is you get to go and look at a church and see what they do, things that you would love to take back to your church. And then my friend that I went to his church, he came to our church last week, and um, he did the same thing. And we're exchanging conversations. Like, hey. He's like, hey, what would you take from our church? And I said, honestly, um, Life Connection Church, it's in the inner city of Phoenix, a very responsive church, right? So they talk back to each other, and he's, he's preaching, and they're like, hey man, hallelujah. I'm like, I would take that back. And not only just that, the guys in the front row, he goes, what do you mean? I said, there was one guy in the front row that every time you made a point, he'd go, wow. <laughs> and he'd look, wow. <laughs> right? And I was like, I want that, dude. And so... <laughs> feel free. (laughs) So here we are. We're back here. We're back in Romans. I'm not even sure what week it is. I think it's 15th or 16th week. However, we have turned the corner. Last week is when we turned the corner. So if you haven't been here with us, we were looking at Romans, and we're going to be looking at it for 70 weeks. Um, For about 10 or 11 weeks there, we've been looking at the wrath of God, the judgment of God, and then last week, um, the guys came and taught, but now. Romans 3, 21 through 26, which was last week and this week, is, is essential to Christianity. He says, but now, meaning we were separated from God, but now. And that was the words that they used last week was justification, which were made right before God. They used words like redemption, which is, carries the idea back from the Old Testament of God's people being redeemed out of slavery under the hand of Pharaoh. And now they were free, and we have now in Christ Jesus that we are no longer under sin, but we are free And so what we learned from last week is who God is and what he's done for us in the work of Christ. So what God has done for us in the work of Christ, he's redeemed us, he's justified us. And then today in the two verses that we have this morning, it's who God is, so his character that he displays for us through the work of Christ. So last week, um, what he's done for us in Christ, um, this week is who he is and his character in the work of Christ. Of Christ. And so we pick up in Romans chapter 3, verses 25. Whom, speaking of Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his, his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Um, I I was thinking about this the other day, the first time I met my my father-in-law. The first time I met my father-in-law was a very interesting experience, and those of you guys who are married, you've had that, you probably had the same interesting Experience, but maybe a little different than mine. Um, Holly's from Sacramento area, so we flew out to Sacramento, and the whole time we're joking, like, "Hey, I'm going to meet your family." In my mind, I knew this was going to be my in-laws because I happen to be a person that makes decisions really fast. And so, though Holly and I had been dating for about a month at the time, I knew I'm going to marry her. So we, we go to Sacramento, and I'm joking, saying, "Hey, you know, it's going to be like meet the parents. Your parents are going to like you know investigate me and all these things." And and Holly's like, "No, not my parents. They're really godly people." Well, we get to Sacramento. It gets better. We get to Sacramento and we're coming down the escalator in the airport, and I meet her dad. And her dad, his first words to me was not "Hi, my name's Steve." Hi, Ricardo. It it was, "Hey, you're not 215 pounds," and I'm like, "No," (laughs) but I am Ricardo. Nice to meet you. I got. What do you do with that? Well, later we get to, this is going to come back later. So we get to uh, Holly's parents' house, and she's showing me around the house, beautiful home, just godly parents, and we get to her dad's office in his house, and she goes, this is my dad's office, and I'm looking around, he's got autographed balls of like Joe Montana and Jerry Rice, he's a 49er fan, which wasn't a big deal for me, and then it was, um, and we're walking out, and I see this stack of papers on his desk, and I notice something on this paper, and I go, man, should I bring this up to Holly? Because, I mean, we've only been dating for a month, I'm not really sure if she wants me to do this, and I don't really know her parents, but I had to. Because these stacks of paper were, were, were probably 15 to 20 printed out stacks of pap- papers of my um, athletic biography from playing at ASU. So it was my pitcher, what I weighed, um, how many tackles I had in 04, 03, 02, 01. And I said, Holly, uh, what is this? And she looks at me and her face goes red, like, oh no, my dad, like, right? And so now I'm going back to the airport. No wonder he's like, you're not 215, right? And it's like, no, that was like a bio, and they lie in those bios anyway, right? And so it was just the weirdest thing. And, and, and so it, it, it continues to get worse. And so I meet her brother the next day, and I'm kind of making relationships with him, and I'm joking around. I'm like, hey, so what's up with your dad printing out those bios? Like, I'm joking around. like, he probably doesn't even know. He goes, oh, did you see those? <laughs> and I'm like, did I see him? He goes, yeah. Um, he printed out a copy for everyone who you're going to meet this weekend. It's like, welcome to the family, right? And <laughs> all seriousness, my, my, my father-in-law is easily one of the godliest guys I know. He's a great, great man, and he wanted me to feel welcome. And, but what was really going on is he wanted me to be there. He wanted me to feel welcome, but he wanted me to be who I was because here's what a father wants to know when he's giving his daughters hands away from marriage. Who is this guy, and what is his purpose's? Like, what are, what are your purpose? What are your intentions for my daughter? Who are you? What's your character? Like, I want to I know you. And, he, and, of course, he can't find out who I am from, from an from a athletic biography, right? And we, we can laugh at that and go, oh, my gosh, Holly's parents, they're crazy, right? We can, <laughs> we can, we can laugh at that. But all we got to do is look at ourselves and what happens when we want to get to know people. What do we do? It's like if you meet somebody here um, in a service and you look at them and you go, man, I, I don't want to get to know them. What do you do? You go up to them and say, hey, how you doing? There's my name. No. You go home, you find out their name. You find them on Facebook, right? And you stalk them. Let's just call it what it is. Don't say, no, 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 no. No, you stalk them, right? You're looking at them. You're saying, oh, you're checking out their pit. You know it. You know it. I've never done it, but you know it. And we, we do those things, but here's the picture of God that we have. Here's the picture that we God that we have. Is God himself is saying, you want to know my character. You want to know my purposes. That's, that's fine because I want to reveal it. Meaning, God himself is not saying, I'm hiding somewhere, um, you've got to find some secret knowledge of me somewhere, because I'm going to reveal myself to you in the work and through the work of my son Jesus. And their way, th- this way, we don't have to think about what is the character of God, because he gives it to us, primarily through his word, explicitly seen through the life, death, and resurrection of his son Jesus. And so Paul, in these two verses, gives us so much about God about his character. In fact, the first thing he reveals to us is his saving love, that we do have a God of love, and particularly his saving love. And the second thing is his patient justice, meaning God is a God of justice, but it's patient. And then lastly, his reconciling purposes. So his saving love, his patient justice, and his reconciling uh, purposes. First, verse 25 again. It says, whom God put forth, as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. If you just underline that, to be received by faith. When I start by saying saving love, you go, well, why come you didn't just put God's love? How can it be saving love? Because when you read these texts, especially verses 21 through 26, um, it could potentially give you the idea that what God is saying is that all people will be with him in heaven one day for all eternity. But that's not what it teaches And so when we talk about God's love, in a broad sense, we say God does love everybody. Um, He reigns on the just and the unjust. We are created in his image. Every single one of us, those who trust Christ for salvation and those of you who do not trust Christ. But what Paul is talking about here is saying there is a condition here that every single person can enter into and know God's saving love by faith, by faith, meaning every single person by faith so that's why it's a saving love. And if we're going to understand his love, this saving love, part of his attribute and its and characteristics, we got to explain it. We just can't just go out and just say, oh, God loves you, right? Uh, I was riding my bike the other day and been trying to ride my bike all summer, and uh, it's rough, and I was behind this car, and it said, Darwin loves you, the bumper sticker. And I thought, <laughs> that's pretty funny, <laughs> Right? And the reason why I thought it was funny, not because Darwin loves you, not because it wasn't creative. Because what happens is, you know, Christians, we're all, we know that we're good as Christians as a whole. We're good at taking things from culture that's already been done and then making our Christian version of it, which is usually not nearly as good. It was just funny to see broader culture now take something that we're good at, bumper stickers, and then, I wouldn't say good, but something that we do, bumper stickers, and then saying Darwin loves you. And then I got thinking, um, what evidence do you have for that? Like, what evidence do you have to show me that, Darwin? Like, there's no explanations there. But in the same token, I'm thinking, we do the same things as Christians, right? You've had that moment where you've seen that bumper sticker or someone just yelled out to you in kind of somewhat of a trite way, some ways, like, hey, God loves you, right? We've done that before where you've been in a coffee uh, restaurant and you're leaving and and maybe you see somebody and you just go, hey, God loves you, or you've had a conversation with somebody on the airplane and you've wanted to get to the gospel, you wanted to get to Jesus and you didn't, and then you're like, oh, and they're walking out of the door and you're like, hey, hey, God loves you, right? <laughs> thanks. Could you explain that for me, please? If we're really going to understand the saving love of God, it needs to be explained. And, and what Paul gives us in all of these texts here is God wants us to see it. In fact, just if you just kind of run through this with me real quick, verse 25, he says, put forward. That has the idea of lifting up. He's putting forward Christ for us to see him. The the latter part of verse 25, it says, uh, to show. Um, He wants to show his righteousness. That word is to display publicly for all to see. And then in verse 26, he repeats it again. He says he wants to show his righteousness, meaning God wants to show himself for us to know him so that he would be made much of. And the way that he does this in this love, he says is that he puts forward his son Jesus as a propitiation through his blood that would be received by faith. And most of us go, that sounds beautiful, Ricardo, but what is propitiation, (laughs) right? Like, what is that word? Is that a churchy word? And I would say it's not even a churchy word, right? Churchy words are the language and stuff that just church people use because um, most Christians don't even use this word because um, most translations don't even have this word propitiation in it. If you have an NIV translation, great translation, it probably says sacrifice atonement or atoning sacrifice. But if you have an English Standard Version, the version in which we use, it says propitiation. Um, they're communicating um, a beautiful truth of the gospel that we can't lose. In fact, you can't understand the gospel without understanding this beautiful truth. And so let's talk about this word propitiation in the context of God's saving love. The the word in itself is not something that's just unique to the Bible. In fact, in, in Paul's day in the, the original hearers of this first of this of this letter they would have thought about it potentially um, in talking in lines of Greek mythology. And the thought was the way to appease the deities is that when they were angry or mad at humanity, that humanity had to have a sacrifice because that's what propitiation means. It means to pacify or to satisfy or to absorb wrath or anger from the deities or from a god. And so when the gods were mad, what would happen is the humanity would say, we got to do something, we got to sacrifice somebody. In fact, there's a story of Troy who's traveling with his general on the boat, but the seas, uh, the winds won't blow, so they're not allowed to travel, and so the general says, let's go back. Um, What he does, he takes his daughter, and then he kills her, not smart, he kills her to appease the gods, so he propitiates her and says, are you okay with this? And the way the story's told is the gods are like, yeah, that's cool, because the wind starts to blow again. And so you look at that and go, hmm. And especially some of you would go, see, that's my problem with Christianity, is that the God, the God of the Bible seems like a, a bloodthirsty God, that all he's after is wrath, and he just wants to punish us. That, that, that's the story of the God of the Bible, isn't it? And I would say, no, because when we see propitiation used in biblical terms, it's not humanity, ourselves, beating ourselves, working ourselves, sacrificing ourselves to appease God's wrath. Um, we do agree that God has wrath and God has judgment because we've been reading about it for the past 12 weeks, but we do, we, we do see in Scripture that that is not the theme of propitiation as seen in the context of God's saving love. In fact, um, we see propitiation differently in the Bible. And, and in fact, there's a, there's a chapter in Leviticus, chapter 16, and it was known as the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur. And in this day of atonement, the people of Israel, they would, they, would, they would all gather together. And it was a very solemn day. It was a day to understand their sin. And they would take the high priest of the time. And the high priest himself would, would have to take blood for himself because of his sins that, that, that need to be atoned for. And he'd have to take blood for the rest of the people. And he, he would enter into the, the holy of the holy, like the most holy place. No one else can be with him. He had to bear the weight of this and stand before this seat. And this seat that would be essentially a seat of judgment, he would have to put the blood on it so that it would be a mercy seat that God could meet with him. And this, this ritual would happen uh, year after year. Um, another thing that would happen in, in, in this day is that they would take two goats. And, and many commentaries have said, is he talking about propitiation or expiation? You go, I don't know any of those words, so I'll tell you the story. And so they, they would take these goats, and they would take these two goats, and then they would cast lots for the goat. One goat would be the goat that would be slaughtered. And that's where would, that would be a picture of because of sin, there was wrath and there's death. And so that goat would be slaughtered for the sins of the people. And then the other goat, what the high priest would do is he would lay his hands on that goat and confess his sin and the sins of all the people. And what they would do with this goat, this goat is called a scapegoat or expiation. And then they would shoo that goat outside the city and then the goat would get smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller, not literally, but as he ran away. (laughs) Right? And what they were communicating that is is what the psalmist writes in Psalm 103. That as far as the east is from the west, right, um, God takes away our sins, and essentially that he does not treat us as our sins deserve. And so you have in here, wrapped up here, and people say, is it propitiation, is it expiation? Here's what we know about Jesus. That in the cross of Christ, when God sets forth his son, we see both. That we see that the blood of lambs and of goats and rams, they could never take away our sins. They were only a sign of something that was to come, and not just something, but someone. That God himself the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, that before the foundation of this world, that God, Father, and God the Son, and God the Spirit delighted to create a people who would sin against them, knowing full-fledged before they created that we would rebel against them, and Jesus gladly says, I will go live a life, die, and my blood will be an invitation for all who would believe to enter into this fellowship with God. This is the saving love of God as seen in the gospel. It's initiated by the Father, It's carried out by the Son, and we receive it by the power of the Spirit. Paul communicates this to us and said he offered up Jesus as a propitiation of his blood um, to be received by faith. Here's how the writer of Hebrews um, talks about this and what we have in Christ Jesus being our great high priest. In Hebrews chapter 9, it should come up on the screen here. It says, but when Christ appeared as the high priest of the good things that have come, Then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once and for all into the holy places, not by the means of blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with ashes of a heifer, sanctified for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve a living God? You want to understand the saving love of God is that God sent Jesus as a propitiation to satisfy the fullness of God's wrath. I love what Elise Fitzpatrick says. She says, the cup of wrath that was meant for every single person who would ever believe in Jesus, the penalty of our sin, past, present, and future, that that cup of wrath, God himself poured every single ounce, every single drop, every single speck upon Christ Jesus. Therefore, the righteous indignation and anger of God um, towards our sin has been removed for all time. And this was according to his saving love, amen? To, to understand this propitiation, John Murray says this. The doctrine of propitiation is precisely this, that God loved the objects of his wrath so much that he gave his own son to the end that he, by his blood, should make provision for the removal of this wrath. So here's what Paul is saying. You want to know the love of God, the precious, sovereign, gracious love of God. You will see it. In the work of his son, Jesus. That if you've ever wanted and you've ever doubted the love of the Father for you, all you have to do is look at what he's done on your behalf in the work of his son, Jesus, and you will see the characteristic of God's saving love. Now, what's beautiful about this is Paul, who understands God, doesn't just say, here's God's love. Because we, we love talking about God's love. We love talking about how God is loving and so forth. But Paul says he's not just a God of love. He's also a God of justice. He's also a God of wrath, right? We've been talking about that. He wants to show forth his righteousness. And another word for righteousness is justice. And so how do we understand his justice? And what I've labeled here is his patient justice. Um, let's continue here in Verse 25. He says this, this was, and this was meaning the propitiating act of Jesus, the cross of Christ. He says, this was to show, excuse me, this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. You say, well, I don't, I don't get this. What do you mean? Sh- what do you mean? He's saying this was to show. This act of Christ was not only to demonstrate his saving love, but his patient justice. You see, there's something we don't naturally read here that God says, I need to show. Because God's character matters. And when we talk about character, we talk about attributes. These are not things that we just ascribe to people. We see it in action. And God could have been completely loving and completely just, and we could have never known. God took upon himself to say, I want you to know it. And here's what he means. What's called into question now is some questions that many of us ask, and that is, how are people in the Old Testament forgiven of sins? Meaning, we understand now that Christ came and he died for our sins. It's beautiful. But what about the guys and the women that were in the Old Testament before Jesus came? I and mean, if we understand Hebrews, right, it wasn't blood of the goats and rams. Because, you know, we naturally think, oh, it was the rams. It was the goats. It was the billy pigs. And the billy pigs, the billy goats, right? And the billy pigs. They came together sometimes, right? And, and he said, that, that, that wasn't it. So how, 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 were, they, how were they justified? How were they made right? How, how, did, they, how did God show forth the penalty? Well, God is saying, I'm going to show you why I did that, and I'm going to show you how. And we should ask these questions. We should understand and push into, lean into the character of God. Because if you read the Old Testament, you see there's some bad dudes in the Old Testament. Like, they're faithful, but they weren't, they weren't made faithful because they were good. Right? When you read Hebrews 11, and it's got all these lists of guys who were just doing incredible things, and you go, wow, these guys are great, um, and because of their greatness, they have faith. No, no, no. God gave them faith and ability to believe in him, and that's how they were made righteous. I mean, you think about it. If you just go through the story, right? If you even just start with, if you even start with Noah, right? I like that name. Name my first kid after Noah. Well, not after Noah, but you get what I'm saying. The story of Noah, Noah, usually um, there's this book that we have at our house that, that actually we got rid of because it, it always says, it started off by saying, and Noah was a righteous man and therefore God said he was faithful. And I'm thinking, that's just not good theology. Um, Noah believed God and he was righteous. That's what it really says right there. So Noah builds a boat. You guys know this story. He builds a boat and the animals get on there, all the chickens and the ducks and the llamas, every, every, all the animals get on there. And then after the flood, Noah's back on dry land, and then he, he starts a garden. And in this garden, he has, he's growing grapes in a vineyard. Well, he goes, oh, this vineyard, this is great. I can make some wine. So he starts making wine, and he makes delicious wine. Then the next, you know, he's a drunk, and he's drunk. And we go, wow, this is, that's not good. Now he's like a drunk sailor, right? And so we look at that, and we go, oh, that's not good. And then you fast forward, you look at, you look at someone like Abraham. Abraham, um, whose name was Abram, that God changed his name to Abraham. Like, he's like Father Abraham. Many of us grew up in VBS singing songs. He had many sons, and I'm one of them, and so are you, me too. Like, we sing those songs, right? And we look at Father Abraham, and then you look at the life of Abraham. When God called Abraham, he's traveling. He's walking with his wife. You know, he's got his arm around her. Everything's good. He comes up against Pharaoh. He's afraid of Pharaoh. He's got his, his wife, his, 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 his boo, right, like with him. And then, and then Pharaoh pharaoh's looking and he goes who's that he goes oh because he's afraid of pharaoh oh this is uh that's my sister do you want to and it's like abraham right are you kidding me and then david and and we we know the story of david and if you don't know the story of david david was a man after god's own heart what's amazing about that is this was not self-proclaimed david didn't go around and say hey sister just yes, so no, you guys know i'm a man after god's own heart um god said that god said this is a this is a man of my own heart and then we see the story of David, and we read about in 2 Samuel, that David himself is supposed to be off at war. He's at home. He notices this woman taking a shower. How do you notice a woman taking a shower? I don't know. But he notices her taking a shower. She's a married woman, and he sends his servants to, to, to get her. And then they came together, and they, um, they knew each other in a very biblical manner. And then she, she became pregnant. And David goes, uh-oh, I've committed adultery, and now she's pregnant. What am I going to do? So he, he makes it so that her husband is killed. And then when God confronts him through the prophet Nathan, when David repents, God says, okay, your sins are put away. Okay, we see all that and we go, how did God allow all that to happen? Like, how? how? We get it. He's a loving God. But he's just. And he can't compromise his character. So, so what is Paul saying here? What did, how did God show this? well, this is a way to think about this, is if you grew up, um, some of us grew up, we didn't grow up with a lot of money in our families, and so especially in the 80s and 90s, there was a the thing that was big called uh, layaway, all right? So, yeah. <laughs> and what layaway was, is like, you know, my mom would take us to Kmart or something, and like, you want that bike? Yeah, I want that bike. She was like, get that bike. All right, um, we're gonna put it on layaway. And so you'd be like, wait a minute, what is it, I get to r- take it home? No. Leave it there. And we'll make payments over time, over time, over time. And once it's all paid off, then you can receive the good. Um, That's not what Paul is talking about here. It's not a layaway plan. A better way to describe this would be deferred payment. And what a deferred payment is, in most cases, there's an arrangement that's made um, to that the person would receive the goods now and then pay for it in full at a date that was set. And so in the case here, talking about God passing over former sins, what we see is his divine forbearance, as Paul says there. And his divine forbearance, it communicates that God is patient. And this divine patient, we read about in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, that this patience is God exercised or God-given, God in which God is able to restrain himself from executing justice, but there's a time in which he will do it. And particularly for those in the Old Testament and for those of us now who have never believed, that time was set, as Paul says in Galatians, when the proper time was here that God sent forth his son, born of a woman, the virgin birth, born under the law to redeem those, to pay the price for those who would be under the law who would believe him by faith. The reason why a deferred payment works best in this is because the reason why a person can say, I will give you the goods is because the person receiving the goods is good for the payment. What well, we know for a fact because of the character of God, because he's gracious, because he's good, because he's just, is God is good for it. Therefore, he was able to receive them immediately. And so when those men and women of the Old Testament died before the cross of Christ, God was able to defer their payment to Christ. And when they died, they came and they re- God received them fully. It's not like a layaway plan. Because we know our parents enough to know they were never really good for it, Right? They just wanted in the moment. Oh, you want this bike? Sure. I guarantee you right now, there, there is somewhere in California at a, at, a, at a Kmart, there is like a go-go Jeep waiting for me from like thirty years ago or something like that, right? Because we're a couple more payments and we'll be there. Paul says this is the divine forbearance of God. That's the patient justice that He was able to withhold, looking to the day of Christ. Now this has implications for us because not only does it teach us about God's justice to say, "Wow, He He upholds His love and He upholds His justice." But the implications for that is, one, be thankful. Because we look at God's divine forbearance. Again, in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, it says that it is in this divine forbearance that God is long-suffering and this kindness is meant that we would be led to repentance. And some of us can say, yeah, that's, that, I should worship God. Because if he would have came back five years ago, if he wouldn't have been as patient, he wouldn't have been coming back for me. If it had been 20 years ago, it, w- it wouldn't have been for me. It has implications for our children that we are praying and asking God to redeem, to give him his Holy Spirit, that their, their lives and their hearts may see and love Jesus. It, it, it's for our adult children that, 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 are, that are wayward, that, that hate everything about God in church, that we're saying we're thankful that our God is a loving God who saves, but he's also a patient God, that knowing his justice is coming, but he's patient. It has implications on our coworkers that we are sharing the gospel with, asking that God Himself would intervene sovereignly in their life, that they would know the great grace of God, that we see that our God is, is not weak, but He's loving, but he, and He's patient, and He will execute justice. And so Paul puts this picture for us: we have His saving love, and then we have His justice. But but if you're if you're if you're like me, you go that that's really good. I, I love to see that God is a God of love. And, and then some of us are going, I love to see that God is a God of justice. Um, but, but how are those things reconciled? There, there, there's a verse in in Romans, excuse me, in, uh, Exodus chapter 34 where, where God is talking to Moses and God begins to reveal his name. Not at the burning bush, but he begins to explain his name. And he says, I'm slow to anger and, and I'm merciful. And he goes, I'm gonna forgive people from generation to generation's. And then the next line he says, but that by no means am I going to clear the guilty. And it seems kind of like a contradiction. I remember growing up, um, learning African American history, and, and like the two big guys were, were um, Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. And like, like Malcolm X would be like, by any means necessary. And then Martin Luther King would be like, um, nonviolent, nonviolent. And the Malcolm X were like, yeah, but by any means necessary. And we're thinking, gosh, these guys, I can't pick, right? Um, it seems like when you first hear God say, I'm going to forgive people from generation to generation, and I'm going to punish the guilty from generation to generation, it's like, how are those things reconciled? Well, we see his love in Christ, we see his justice in Christ. And then what Paul explains for us in verse 26 is how he reconciles for us. How he reconciles his love and his justice, his mercy and his holiness. Look at verse 26. It was to show it, again, coming back to the cross of Christ. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and justifier of the one who has faith in Christ Jesus. This is the linchpin of the gospel. This is the linchpin. Hear me on this. God was going to be just and God was going to be loving whether he sent Jesus or not. If if you ever want to know the purposes of God, if you ever want to know his reconciling purposes, is that God himself desires to be known. And in desiring to be known, the way that he would have fellowship and relationship with us is by sending his son Jesus. Here's a better way to understand this. If we see that understanding, we've been walking through the scriptures. And and hear me. If you haven't been here for the past 15 weeks and you have been walking here with us through Romans, let me explain what Paul has said for the past 12 weeks. Um, God hates sin. That's 11 or 12 weeks right there, right? He hates it. And so we have this. God puts himself in this problem. It's not our problem because we were not looking for God. But God himself initiates this problem. And this this seemingly problem is he hates sin and has to punish it because he's just. But then he loves sinners and he wants to be in relationship with us. He wants to express this love. And so how is he going to reconcile it? And what Paul says is he sends Christ. He sends the cross, Christ on the cross to show in Christ that he may be the father, the deep love of the father, that he would be both just and justifier. So he would be just because he can look at our sin and say, yes, I'm going to punish it. I have to. And so he punishes it, but he doesn't punish you. He makes it in such a way that he can punish sin without having to punish you, and so he sends Jesus. But then he wants to be justifier. This is the nature of God that he desires to be with us. He desires to be in fellowship with us. And so he's able to justify us by the work of Christ. And so, so, so here, here, here's what this means. You've heard this said, or maybe you haven't, that Christ lived the life that we should have lived, and that he died to death. That we should have died. And what, what that means is this. Is that on the cross and through the life of Christ, God did a few things for us. The first thing he did is we understand that Christ died, died the death we should have died. That's what we've been talking about. He sent, God sent Jesus to die for our sins. He absorbed it. Past, present, and future. It's done. He's dealt with the problem of sin on behalf of all who would believe him by faith. But he also lived the life we should have lived. That we may have Righteousness. Because we in ourselves, as we talked about even in Romans, that we don't have a righteousness. But now he's given us the record of Christ, meaning the beautiful life of Christ, the beautiful record of Christ, his sinless life, his impeccable life, God gives to us. Um, And what that means now is that when God the Father looks at us because of the work of his son Jesus, he sees us as his son. You are loved just as much as Jesus is loved. You were loved by the Father God as much as his son Jesus is loved. It's the reason why Paul can say in Ephesians that we are as good as seated with Christ in the heavens. Because what he knows, Christ, God himself is not going to say, I take it back. He's not going to say, never mind. It was his plan from before the foundation of this world. And God says, I send forth my son to display my character so that we would see his glory. And when we see this glory, we make much of him. And everything we do, amen? We make much of him in everything we do. And so when you understand the saving love of Christ, it's to be received, the saving love of God is to be received by looking at Christ and what he's done on your behalf. You can trust that God himself never compromises his character. He never compromises, and this is justice himself for those who would believe. He placed upon his son Jesus, and then his reconciling purposes. One, he reconciles his characteristics, and then he reconciles us to him. Um, there, there's, it's, it's free. It's free. Let me close with this. There, there was a, um, we, I watched a, Holly and I watched the documentary yesterday. Was Saving Superman or something like that? It's an educational deal. that Some of you guys probably watch, and it's on the public education. And I'm not really sure where you stand on that, but it was pretty compelling. And at the very, very end of it. They're, they're, they show these kids, kids from the Bronx, kids from East L.A., kids from Northern California, kids from um, D.C., and many of these kids who were trying to get into these, these, these um, charter schools because these charter schools are going to give them a better opportunity to get out of most of them from, 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 from the ghetto, from the hood, that they can get into these places and their parents are just banking everything on it and it's all on a lottery ticket. Which one, it, it's not about your test scores, it's not about what you can do, but you would receive. But, you know, there's like three, 300 applicants that are going to take 10. And the whole time, because you're drawn through the lives of these stories, you want these kids to get in. And then they show it. And the way that the, the guy who puts the film together shows it is it shows every single number that somebody else's name is being called. And their kids are sitting there waiting. And there was one kid that I desperately wanted to get in. And then it just comes up not accepted. Not accepted. And then later on, towards the end, is that they found out that the spot was open, and they called him, and a little 10-year-old boy who wants to get out of Washington, D.C., and they said, you're actually accepted now. And what I I loved about that, after I was maybe crying, (laughs) what I I loved about that is the picture of the gospel is that um, that gives a hint of the gospel, but not the full story. That gives a hint of Christ being both, God being both just and justifier. Here's what I mean. Justification, right? like this show said, it's nothing we have to do. There's no test that we have to take. There's no test that we could take. We all fail. And yet we're able to be received. But what this show didn't get is a lottery. And these people wanted it. But they had the, they, they were, it was a guess. It was maybe they'd get in. What we know from the sacrificial love of Christ and from the love of the Holy Spirit and the love of the Father and because of the condition of the human heart, how separated we are, that if anybody wants to be loved by God through the work of Christ, if anybody wants to love Jesus, like these families are saying, I hope, if, if if you desire to be right with God, there's not a lottery to pick. It could be because the spirit of Christ is already at work in your life, and that every single person that desires this, that wants this by faith, that rests in this, what it says is, accept it. For all eternity, there's nothing we can do to make God love us any more, and there's nothing we can do to make God love us any less. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love. It is easy for us, Lord, to talk about the gospel talk about the life of Christ and to omit the fact that this was by your design, Father. That that Jesus was just not on a solo mission, but Lord, the love, Lord, in which sent Jesus comes divinely from you and that you desire to be with us, that you desire to show yourself to us, that we may understand your character, that we may be able to worship you and make much of who you are through the work of your son, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for the Holy Spirit, for those of us in this room that have had the opportunity, Lord, by grace to believe. And we pray for the continued work of the Spirit through the teaching of the gospel that you would continue to draw men and women to yourself to see that in Christ we are all accepted, we are all made right by no test that we've ever taken, Lord, but by the test that's been passed for us in the work of your Son, Jesus. Humble us, Lord. And so whether as we go off into the professions we have into our vocations into our neighborhoods and to our schools and to our families and to our relationships, that we would embody this good news in our actions and in our words. That the name of Christ, Lord, will be something that we would speak much of, that he would be made much of. God, we pray that as a body that we would continue to be the aroma of Christ to those around, that they may seek and know and find Jesus. we thank you for all that you've done and all that you're doing. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.